What if God doesn't do what you want him to do? Has God's character changed? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Will you continue to serve him? Sometimes in God's sovereignty, he chooses to deliver us from the fiery furnace. And sometimes God allows a head to be removed. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in Chapter 3 of our study of the Book of Daniel. Despite Daniel's promotion by King Nebuchadnezzar, he and his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are facing a fiery furnace for failing to worship the God fashioned into a gold statue by Nebuchadnezzar. Today we'll see that these men were not only courageous, but they were confident that the one true God would bring about a right outcome that would ultimately glorify himself and, as it turns out, would be a witness to Nebuchadnezzar about the one true God. Here are some men who had courage. Here are some men who had great confidence. Look at verse 17 at their confidence. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Our God is sovereign. He is able to deliver if he so chooses. They knew that God could do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. But notice in, a different, in addition to their courage and their confidence, their commitment. While God is able, they add here in verse 18, but even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Our God is able, they are saying, but even if he chooses not to deliver us, we will obey him. That wasn't doubt. That was the deepest kind of faith. Forget all this Joel Olstein junk where he says you speak your destiny into existence. That's nonsense. You surrender your destiny to the hand of a sovereign God who does as he pleases. And if it is God's will, then these three men are ready to die because their faith is not built on God's performance. Is your faith built on God's performance? Do you obey him just if he does what you want him to do? Sometimes we pray, God, heal me, and he heals. And sometimes we pray, God, heal me, and he chooses not to. Job said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. I'm grateful to one of our church members years ago. He had cancer. God healed him. He was free five years. Came back, got cancer, free five years. Came back a third time. And he would come to church on Sunday morning with that swollen belly and in pain. And like Job, he said, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. What if God doesn't do what you want him to do? Has God's character changed? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Will you continue to serve him? Sometimes in God's sovereignty, he chooses to deliver us from the fiery furnace. And sometimes God allows a head to be removed, as we will see in a wide-scale way during the time of the Great Tribulation. You see, great faith says God is able to deliver, but greater faith says if God does not deliver, yet I will praise Him and I will serve Him and be faithful. 
Here were these three men. They would not bow. They would not bend. Nor would they budge. They would not budge. They would not burn. Now, follow carefully. Here in verses 19 and 20, I want you to see the persecution that comes. The king now has to act. His mind is made up. He has no choice. He's given a command. His authority is at stake. Notice the persecution. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. I mean, he's ripped. He's hotter than the furnace. You can see his countenance. It says his facial expression was altered. Just read the Proverbs. You can tell a lot about a man's heart, but what's on his face? And so in his wrath, he orders the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than normal. Now carefully, let's read verses 21 to 23. They're so familiar, we miss some of the critical issues. These men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's so hot when they open the door, these guys are blasted, the soldiers, and they die. My son Grant always tells me when I'm barbecuing, he said, Dad, if you're looking, you're not cooking. But, you know, occasionally you pull that lid off, or I'm famous for my brush piles in my backyard, and I build them big, and there's been more than one time when I've literally gotten my eyelashes singed. Well, here, this gust of air is so powerful, as soon as the soldiers throw them in, they're incinerated, they die from the heat. Verse 23, but these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Now, there's a lesson, and I think very often we make a big mistake in Christianity where we paint it purely as success and popularity. So often you hear these testimonies, oh, I love Jesus. He's made me a great athlete. I love Jesus. He's made me a successful businessman. I love Jesus. He's made me a great politician. Now, while God may make you a great businessman or athlete or politician, there are many hardcore pagans who are all of the above. And if you really want to associate something with Christianity, you might associate it with persecution. Because Paul said to Timothy, all, all, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And let me say to someone today who's considering becoming a Christian, it might get more difficult for you. When I was in India last year and I was witnessing to a lot of Hindu people, one of the responses was, well, if I leave Hinduism, of which they have 300 million gods everywhere you turn, there's a god in that country, my parents will be so disappointed. I said, do you want to disappoint the living God or your parents? And I said, wouldn't it be wiser for you to please the living God, and maybe in the process of your changed life, you could bring your parents to faith in Jesus Christ, then for all of you to go to hell together? 
Listen, when you are a twice-born person in a world of once-born people, you will be going against the tide and the world won't like you. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, then the world would love you because it loves its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Listen, this is a new day in America. In the 60s and 70s and 80s, as we repressed God and we said, no, God, we're not interested. No praise, no thanks. God gave us over to sensuality. We continued to say, no, God, I'm not interested. No praise, no thanks, no Bible reading, no prayer, nothing, no Ten Commandments. God gave us over to do that, which is unnatural. And we've now adopted homosexuality and the third phase of God's wrath, not that will be revealed, but is being revealed, not just on our nation, but across the world, is God gives them over to a depraved, reprobate, upside-down mind where people call good evil and evil good. And if you want to see what it's right, read the last seven verses of Romans 7, because that's all we have to look forward to in America. You leave God out, God says, okay, I'll give you your wish. And I'm telling you, it's a new day for our children and for our grandchildren. They are going to face some battles like they've never seen. And we need to prepare them and get their head out of the tube and out of the computer game and in the Word of God, starting with our parents, where it is on our hearts so that we can teach them in the way. So there's their persecution, but notice too, their preservation. Then Nebuchadnezzar, verse 24, then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. This king saw these saints of God preserved by the presence of God. He says, was there not three men cast into the midst of the fire? And the crowd says, yes, king, yeah, that's true. Look, I see four, and they're in the fire without any harm. And the Hebrew text literally reads, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Now, some of you are using the old King James, and it doesn't say the son of the gods, it says the son of God, but that's an interpretive decision. That is not a translation in that sense. In fact, wherever I go in the world, there's not another language in the world I know that translates it that way. And there's only one English translation out of a multiplicity that translates it that way. It reads in the plural. It is actually plural. The son of the gods. That's the only way this pagan king could express it. He's a hardcore pagan. He knows nothing about God becoming a man. He knows nothing of a virgin conceiving and bearing a son whose name will be called Mighty God. He knows nothing of the coming Son of God. He's not some Israelite theologian. He has no spiritual vocabulary. He's using the language of paganism. And so who is this? And by the way, he not only calls him first a son of the gods. If you look down into verse 28, I have him circled. He calls him then God's angel. So what is this? A lot of debate 
has come over this verse. Is this what we call a Christophany? Where the Lord Jesus in one of his pre-incarnate, pre-Bethlehem appearances comes as the angel of the Lord. There are instances in the Old Testament where God the Son, ever before he took on human flesh, comes as the angel of the Lord, and that angel is called God. Or is this a theophany? Theos, God, we get our word theophany. Theology from it, fene, means to, uh, to appear or to manifest. Is this a manifestation of God the Father? The way he manifested himself to Moses or the way um, he appeared to other individuals in the Old Testament? Or is this just a normal angel? One of those angels like in Daniel 6 who closes the mouths of the lion. An angel come to render service to those who will inherit salvation. The truth is we don't know. And I can make for some colorful preaching today, but I won't because it will be unfaithful to the text. Now, if I were a betting man, I suspect when we get to heaven, we will find out this is the pre-incarnate Christ. But the fact is, it could be the Father or it could just be an angel. In either case, it does not change the fact that however God decides to do it, He will be with us always, even to the end of the age. That as the writer of the Hebrews said, He will never leave us nor forsake us. Look at verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was a hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even upon them. Now, I've told you before that next to the book of Genesis, the most attacked book in the Bible is the book of Daniel. Why? Because number one, of its prophetic level, its preciseness, but also because of its miraculous content. Here are some men who would not bow, who would not bend, and in God's sovereign choice, he determined that because they would not bow, bend, or budge, they would not burn. And here they are in a fiery furnace that should have incinerated them, and yet the Bible says here their trousers were not burned. The smell of fire was not on them. No first-degree burns on their bodies, much less was a hair on their head even singed. We're in the realm of the miraculous. And that's why I told you, if you can believe the first verse in the Bible, Barashit bara Elohim, in the beginning created God, then you can believe the rest of the Bible. But people attack the first verse in the Bible. And if the first verse is not true, if God did not create the world, if there was some spark out there and out of space that created some goo and out of the goo came you, then it's sheer nonsense. But if you can believe the first verse, if you can believe that God created the world, that God who created the world created fire, that God who created fire could in his sovereignty keep these men from being burned... When I was a little boy and I would go to catechism week after week, one year I sat under, I'm sure, some absolute apostate woman. And I remember just breaking my heart, her telling me that this didn't really happen. That Daniel was not true. And in my childlike faith, I thought, I think it happened. 
She said, no, it didn't happen. God, who creates the heavens and the earth, can allow these guys coming out sweet and clean, and he did. There's their preservation. Finally, there's their promotion. Verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. He asks in verse 15, What god is there who can save you from my hand? And having asked that question, he now proclaims the answer, Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speak anything offensive against the god of Shadrach Meshach and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. This guy is amazed. He's been brought down a few notches. However, he's not yet converted. But nonetheless, he recognizes that the one true God somehow is their God or he's different from all the other gods. He's still polytheistic. Then the king, verse 30, caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Now, we're not told specifically how he did this. Maybe he gave them an increase in salary. Maybe he gave them new living quarters. Maybe he increased their official responsibilities. They're already at the top. So why did they prosper? They prospered because God blessed them and Nebuchadnezzar recognized that there was no God like the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He recognized there's a supernatural dimension to their God. And on top of that, this is the kind of men you want working for you. People of character. People who will not rip off the king. People who will stand for what is right, even when the king himself threatens you with his life. Now, how are we going to apply this? I've already made a number of applications, but let me highlight three as we close. Number one, I believe God recorded this portion of Scripture to remind us that God is looking for a faithful minority who have the courage to do what is right. Here were three men who, who dared to stand up for their convictions. They wouldn't bow, they wouldn't bend, they wouldn't budge. They refused to worship the image. Age your question, how do you develop that kind of courage? The Bible tells us in Chronicles, for the eyes of the Lord moves to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Please understand, there is no courage without conviction. And there is no conviction unless it comes from the word of God. Parents, your kids cannot live off of your convictions. They need to have their own convictions. And that's why it is so important that you are putting them in the Word of God. First, you're putting yourself in the Word of God. These things must first be in your heart, Moses said, and then you'll be able to teach them to your kids in every facet of life, and then they will have convictions from the Word of God. 
Now remember, these young men, before they were brought to Babylon, sat under a young king named King uh, Josiah. And King Josiah restored the law because the law had been mocked and he, he shut out the idolatry. And he reinstated Passover. And we're told in 2 Kings 23, and before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him rise after him. These three men along with Daniel were under this king's revival and it impacted their life. And so they can say, King... We're not careful to answer you in this matter. We, we got our minds made up. This is a no-brainer. They were not Daniel's yes men. They had their own convictions. Secondly, I believe God gave us his passage to teach us that the pathway to usefulness is through trials. God has to bring us sometimes through the crucible of trials to make us more useful. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 3, it says, He, Yahweh, He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. God regulates the fire carefully. He brings the dross in our life to the surface. And what happens when these men are in the fire? The only thing that happens is what Nebuchadnezzar put on is now taken off. And many times God will bring you through a fiery trial to take off what the world has put on. Sometimes people will judge you. You're in the midst of a trial and they say, what are you, under God's discipline? These men were in the center of God's will when this happens. And understand too, discipline in the Bible has both a negative and positive connotation. Sometimes God takes us to the woodshed for sin. Sometimes you can be in the center of God's will and you're doing nothing wrong and he's just purifying you and using you in a more deeper, profound way. And he's building some positive qualities. And sometimes you're right in the center of God's will and you're right where he wants you to be. And he uses too a fiery trial to show you that your Christianity is not built on circumstance, but on the living God. I love that hymn. When through fiery trials thy path pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. Some of you are here this morning and you are in the midst of a fiery furnace. Simple math. How many went in to the furnace? How many showed up in the furnace? How many came out? I don't care what kind of a fiery furnace you are in. The Lord God is there with you. And he has his hand on the thermostat. He knows what he is about. Finally, I'm reminded from this passage that when God takes on a job, he does it first class. I mean, not even the smell of smoke was on them. When Jesus healed a deaf man, he didn't heal one ear and leave the other deaf. When he healed blind people and he healed seven in the New Testament, he didn't heal one eye and leave the others uh, blind. When God does a miracle, he does it first class. And the greatest miracle God ever did was at Golgotha. 
God incarnated Himself in human flesh and bled on a cross. And when He saves you, He doesn't half save you. He doesn't half forgive you. He completely forgives you. He removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. He buries it in the deepest sea. And He remembers it. He holds it no longer against you. Some of you are in a fiery furnace because God wants you to look up and come to Christ in salvation. Some of you are in a fiery furnace because He wants to purify you. Some of you are in a fiery furnace because He wants to get your life right. And some of you are in a fiery furnace just as a matter of testimony that forget this positive Joe Olstein nonsense, he's going to bring you through the fiery furnace to say that my God is still God no matter what the world says and no matter what the circumstances may be. Now, if you're here today, have you ever fallen on your face and say, God, I've sinned and I'm worthy of your wrath but I call upon the one who bore that wrath for me. If you haven't, why don't you do it right now? Now, our Father, we thank you today for your mercy and for your grace. We deserve nothing but wrath, but you've given us nothing but grace. And we bless you for that, for such kindness. Thank you for the Lord Jesus who bore in his own body on the cross our sin. And when you raised him from the dead, you made an announcement to all men everywhere that he was a sinless son of God able to do that. Help someone today in simple childlike faith to call upon him for whoever will call upon his name you said will be saved. Would you do that today? Would you say, Lord Jesus, save me? Remember, God cannot lie. The Bible says it's impossible for him to lie. Moses said, God is not like a man that he would ever lie. God asked you to come in faith, to take him at his word. And if you're unsure of your salvation, you've not come in faith. But I invite you today to take God at his word because he paid the debt in full. Ask him, Lord Jesus, save me and change me. Now, Father, I know there are some here because they've told me their circumstances who are in a fiery furnace. Some in a fiery furnace of a health let down. And they need healing. And they're asking you to heal. And we're praying and asking you to do that. But may we, like Job, say, though you slay me, yet I will praise you. May we cleanse our mind of all the nonsense that is being taught in pulpits across America. And recalibrate our minds according to your truth. And may you help us in the days that you told us that are in front of us. That will not get easier but more difficult. Help us to stand. Help us those whom we disciple. Especially our children and grandchildren. To stand strong no matter what the world does. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen again to today's study from the book of Daniel, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling 877-787-7478 
and requesting program DAN4. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll move into Chapter 4 of Daniel and begin a look at the conversion of a king. Join us then as we search the scriptures.